0: Well, I thought was, excuse me, but I thought it was 267. Is
1: it 267? Yes, sir. What did I say? 367?
0: 266.
1: Oh, that was last week. Yes, sir. Episode 266 was recorded. To, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> talk recorded
0: live.
1: Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear. Place as a dive and scuba in the news. Episode two sixty seven is recorded live December seventeenth, twenty fifteen. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson, coming to you from the technically challenged part of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac?
0: I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. Thank you.
1: And I am hoping if things go right and you get this podcast in your podcast feed, that it sounds much better than we have had for a few weeks. And we are on the new system We are actually recording a little bit later than normal, almost uh, two hours late. So if you were trying to get in the chat room, which we had Wheat and Diver in there, we appreciate you hanging around. But at this point, we're just doing a straight-up record. Uh, If something happens technically, because I won't have a backup, not using my backup service, then you'll never even know we recorded this, and there'll just be an empty gap. But we are still in this unseasonably warm weather, but it looks like we may get a little bit of snow this weekend.
0: Well, actually, it was about 33 this afternoon when we were out in the water and it had that white flaky stuff come down and it wasn't dangerous.
1: Well, since you mentioned diving, let's let's mix things up this week and let's just talk about the diving that happened to get started. So, where did you get going?
0: Well, it's a blur anymore. It it, it seems like, you know, when we started out on this Thursday, 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 uh, you know, we started doing it at six, and then we had to back it up to five, and then we backed it up to, to I think three o'clock last week, and then today we put it at noon so we try to get some sun. Well, sun didn't come out, <laughs> and and we did have the flurries, which was fun, sort of, uh, but no accumulation. The water, uh, the air temperature, I think today was 34. A nice little breeze, so the warm up vans they had both the uh, little trailer and the big toy box today. Because uh, Jake brought his, which was very nice. Uh, water temperature, it's got to be, I don't know, 40-something. It's cold enough when you get in, really. It takes a few moments to freeze your face, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But your lips don't get really numb yet. So probably 40 degrees, 41. Well, cool. um, current was very strong. If you get away from, you know where we go in at the pipe? Yeah. If you get on the right side of the pipe, you're in a dead spot you can manage because the pipe is buffeting it. Exactly. It's sort it of round and you got an eddy actually. Uh-huh. When you're up the dock looking down, it's actually going in reverse in the shallows. Yes. Uh, but you get out 15, 20 feet and you're starting to get to the fast part and it's fast. Uh, today I used a variation of uh, the creeper. I basically used a 28-pound anchor, not a mushroom. And uh, when you got out, past that dead spot, my creeper would have not been as useful as that anchor. Oh, really? I, the anch- oh, yeah, because I, what I did is I used some carabiners, tied off the die flag to the center of the anchor, so if I lost something, I could always find the anchor.
1: And for those I, who so- who don't know, that the creeper you're talking about resembles like an old person's walker, except that the feet on it are only about an inch long from where the handle is or how, how was it five six inches long maybe
0: yeah and then I have a spike in each of the caps but it has a center line also that comes out so it's yeah. like a big H in the front with a line in the middle where the H would be and comes out on a 30 degree angle down so you've got three points of contact so if you're in the river it helps dig you in and, and
1: it's if, and it was galvanized pipe that you used and you filled with lead shot correct. And so it's, it's nice and weighted and it's good for a moderate current, but I take it today it was ripping a little too much for that.
0: Right. I used a heavy duty one, probably a 25 pounder at least, but by doing that and then taking a 10 foot tagline, also carabinered out, you could place it and then you could do an arc swing and the current was fast enough to keep the, the float up and out of your way. So you didn't get tangled on that and you can actually do your arc. But you could not – You it was uncomfortable to go forward, so you you just went backwards. Uh-huh. You move it backwards or, or lateral and then let the current carry all your spillage away from you, all your silt that you're kicking up. So I used that and was able to maneuver pretty much where I wanted. And uh, Ken took the big baby out. He took Big Bertha, which is his big red sub. Okay. It's, it is not neutral. It's 40 pounds heavy. And, and that worked for a few moments until it flooded, and then it was uh, a big oh. anchor, so he put it back on shore, and we picked it up after the dive. Uh, so basically, he and Sir Larry kept to the, uh, to the section that was minimized current because of the big pipe that goes out. Okay. And then Jake got out there. He started at the old boat launch and worked his way up to us in the shallows out to maybe five, six feet,
1: yeah. it- which is pretty darn good. And you you heard why that water was moving quick, didn't you?
0: Well, it's been moving quick the last couple of the, you know weeks we've been out there. But yeah. is there something else I didn't know?
1: Yeah, they made an announcement on one of the local radio stations that they were drawing down all the dams, which they say they do every year for winter. Ah. Huh. Uh, they they said it helps prevent ice damage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're talking about ice damages and and for those who don't know about the St. Joe River is that we've got a series of dams. I mean, it's a, we're an early industrial area in Michigan, and there's a dam in Bering Springs. You've got the dam in Buchanan. As you go upstream, uh, the river turns back. You've got the French Paper Mill Dam in, uh, in Niles. And then I think the next one's probably South Bend, Indiana Dam.
0: Yeah, and then you've got some, like, uh, spillways where they do a lot of fast kayaking. Yes. And... I would consider them hydraulics, and you're not going to be diving in those very much.
1: No, and so what they've been doing is they is they announced, and I don't know if it was I and M or somebody else, but they said that they were drawing down the dams for winter, which they do every year. So to draw them down, you're basically dumping a lot of water that's been uh, that's behind the dam, and that would explain the quicker current.
0: Well, also the new bridge, which opened up last week, you know, yes, uh, it only has three sections. Or two sections, not the three like we had before. So it's going to be interesting, the flow path this year, when we start having our uh, flood currents and stuff, uh, how that changes our bottom. It'll be totally different.
1: Yeah, I expect to see uh, locations opened up that haven't been before. They already
0: are. You it, saw some of the items they got last week.
1: Yeah. Oh, that crock. Oh, that was, was, oh,
0: was, that, that was a, a German mineral water stoneware.
1: Stoneware. It was
0: beautiful. Yeah, like eighteen fifty six, something. It was very, very nice.
1: And it was, and it was, uh, like, like you've been saying, a lot of this, a lot of times when we find things, they, they flow down the river for a while, so you get a lot of that sand scarring and scratching, and these look like they've been buried the whole time.
0: Right, and I don't know, did you get to see the uh, glass train? Sarah found not up
1: close. I've seen it in the pictures, but I haven't. It, seen
0: it. it is not scratched, it is nice. Got a very small little chip in it that if you she didn't point it out, you wouldn't notice it. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, glass telephone, the old fashioned, like the, the long one with the speaker at the top that's glass. Oh, so she made some fantastic finds. Uh, of course, that stoneware from Germany was very, very nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking
1: at it now, and it's you it, it, you could do that as artwork. I mean, if today, if you were an artist and you made that, that qualifies as art to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So we have been, and and if you look at the finds, some of the bottles they've been getting out there are extremely nice.
1: Well, like that, I'm seeing one that's a Red
0: Rock Cola, and that silk oh. screen is, is like mint. Yeah, well, they're getting some nice stoneware out of there that instead of the regular big jugs and the crock pots and stuff you've been finding... These are actual, you know, looks like bottles, but they're stoneware bottles. Very, very nice.
1: Yeah, like I'm looking at this syrup bottle. Uh, Pepsin Syrup Company, uh, was it Monticello, Mon- Mon- Monticello in, Illinois, uh, in Illinois? Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And that and that one's got very little wear. It's a little bit there at the neck, but some nice, nice finds.
0: So it'll be interesting now that they've got the bridge done, the barges are moved how much this winter will change the bottom again for us. And, again, with that center post gone, that should minimize the blockage because normally you get the trees and stuff impact those two, you know, where the stream comes down, hits the the, uh, bridge abutment, and then pile up the the debris. That should be minimized this year. So we'll have a bigger current downstream that's faster. And let's see what that does for us. Yeah.
1: And I've always been fascinated by hydraulics and Stream paths, if you don't have anything stopping them, you know, we're not doing uh, bridges or dams or uh, hard uh, retaining walls. The way that a river will move back and forth an Oxbow. Uh, you know, An example would be the Mississippi where you find a ship that's two miles inland from the river. And it's just because of that natural. As, a, as one side of the river slows down and curves, the other side speeds up and digs in and then eventually an oxbow will cross over itself, and that will change the whole river course going down, however long it is.
0: Yeah. Well, like I said, it, there's a lot of variations of why you have the current and the way you have the current, but generally it's the, the, the rise, or I should say the slope, that determines how fast your current going to be, and of course then if, like where we're at, we're highlands on both sides where we are right now, and until you get towards uh, Stevensville where it flattens out
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know you got a different pattern there now it, it's quite interesting so anxious to see what it does next year
1: uh, if anything it'll be turning up stuff we haven't seen in a while
0: well that that river section has been getting dove um, an average of last month and this month three times a week because <laughs> people are getting out there on obviously Thursday. And Saturday and Sunday. And some people have been getting out there on Monday. I won't mention any names.
1: Yeah.
0: You get more retired people.
1: Yeah, they're all out there getting into it.
0: Yeah.
1: And and the stuff we're picking up is is trash. I mean, people threw it in the water years ago, and it's just there. So uh, it's kind of a fun thing. If you if you like what you – if, you know, another person's trash, somebody else's treasure yep. uh, uh, kind of turns true this way.
0: Yep, And uh, I don't remember – my days get all screwed up. You know, we dove the, uh, the piers or did you know that? Yeah. I think we, t- do we talk about that last week? I'm not sure. I, I, the days just run together anymore. <laughs> but, creep. uh, if you went out there, the, the golf balls are just multiplying like rabbits out there on both sides, the riverside and on the, uh, the north side of the north pier. They're every freaking place. Difference is now there's a lot of nice ones that are practice balls. Mm-hmm. But they must have lost them really early because the practice ones are really looking good.
1: Oh, so they, they had uh, the very few dings in them before they.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and you're going out there and it's like little eggs all over the place. <laughs> well, that's I nice. Think, I don't think they're going to. Most of the guys don't want to go diving next Thursday, something about Christmas Eve or something. Um, yeah. Or whatever that means.
1: Yeah. And, and since you brought that up, I'm guessing we won't record an episode on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then I think that New Year's Eve, is is that the, is that the following Thursday?
0: Yes, it is. That's the uh, club gathering and uh, New Year's Dive, which right now, based on the weather, meaning it's not frozen, we'll probably go to Whirlpool Basin, back where the old water tower used to be. And that's where the New Year's Dive will be. Okay. So that'll be good. Yeah. We're, we're still looking for some Gunga dens, if anybody wants to volunteer to come out, and uh, we will feed you. Uh provide transportation. Uh we just need young bodies. <laughs> yeah.
1: So maybe what we'll try and do this if, if not, we'll see everybody after the first of the year and we'll have a fresh episode. Uh but maybe we'll try and do something special during that time. Maybe we'll do we we'll, because 'cause I'm off uh for a week there, so maybe we'll we'll do some playing. Um is Jim in town or is he traveling the family? Do you know? Uh,
0: I do not know. Uh I know he's a little under the weather last week because he was going to hit out with us on uh, Thursday, but he didn't because well he you know he did some good heavy diving on Monday with me, mm-hmm. uh, and I haven't seen him since then. Okay,
1: yeah. When I, I I stopped in the dive shop and saw him, and him and Richard were repairing dry suits.
0: Yeah, Richard is now working full time again.
1: Again, again, or because I know he I, wasn't, and then he was.
0: Well, he's not working at Wolf's. Okay. He's working as a superintendent for several water utilities. Yeah. It's one of those opportunities that come up and you couldn't say no. Yes. But he likes to work. So Well,
1: and, and, and he's good at it. It's, there's and something and, to and be he said likes what he's that. doing. Right. He right. likes what he's doing. So he gets to scuba dive in water. And then when he's not diving in water, he gets to filter it and process it and analyze it.
0: Right. Because he works for the Bearing Springs and at Andrews University now.
1: Oh, he's doing Bering Springs now.
0: And Andrews.
1: Oh. Well, see, I had a friend of mine who used to manage the Berrien Springs, and uh, he did, like, it was one of those things where he did that in three other jobs. Like, you know, you had the maintenance department, you had the water department, he also owned a garage. right? And I think he just said at some point in time, you know, this is just too much. Uh, and it's a, it's a challenge because, uh, you know, in Michigan, a lot of our water, the drinking water we get, comes from, like, Michigan. Uh, but when you get into a certain distance, you're now into traditional wells. and that's what uh, Bering Springs and Andrews. So Andrews University, Andrews University has a has a well system that can do the university, the town of Bering Springs and then probably two other towns. It's giant. And yeah. then Bering Springs itself, who has its own municipal water system, uh, I think they, last I knew they had three wells. But some of them were getting old. Uh, they're about the well I have at home is almost as deep and as big as the municipal, so they were needing to upgrade that. But yeah, I guess with all the testing requirements now, uh, you want to have something and that kind of brings me up to uh, a story we can cover. I, did, I don't actually have a link to it, but did you see that Flint uh, had a problem with uh, lead in their water?
0: Not not had had. They're yeah. taking it out of the river. Yes. And they weren't testing it properly, and it's like, whoops!
1: Yeah, because what it's had like, happened oops. is they is they were part of the Detroit water system, and there was some sort of repairs that were going on, and as, in, as a kind of a cost thing, uh, instead of going and running lines or duplicating systems, they were temporarily taking it out of the river there, which I, I'm not sure which river there uh, runs through Flint. And, and that was giving them time to do some repairs, and I think they were connecting to another municipal system. Oh, they I think they were going direct to Lake Huron then.
0: Yeah, but the, the key item was uh, somebody let the ball fall, and yep. the water was not of the purity in which you would like to drink. Yeah,
1: and this is not a case of where the water didn't measure. They actually were measuring people who were drinking the water, and they had children with multiple times over, the recommended limit limit for lead in your water. So there's gonna this is gonna be something you're gonna it's gonna go on for years and years. A lot of litigation, a well, lot of testing.
0: It just proves you right now that the next gold is gonna be water worldwide. Yeah, I mean the droughts in California, wanting to take the water out of the Mississippi, wanting to take it out of the Great Lakes down the Mississippi so it can be diverted. Now water is a commodity, so put your put your money into the water processing sections and uh, watch it grow. Yes. Talking about water, though. Another article today in the paper. Uh, you, you've heard about this invasive carp <laughs> you, you, <laughs> that's the, not going to get in Lake Michigan, remember? You've the, heard
1: about the, that? the ones that they had stopped in Chicago?
0: Yeah, there, there was another article on those that uh, they found some live ones, not DNA crap. Uh, 77 miles further north than they'd seen them before, in a period of six months, it's like, wow, we've only seen this. And now we're seeing it, you know, 70 some odd miles further up than we did before. And it's like it, they're going to research that to death, not do what they need to, which is stop, you know, block the, put a lock in. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not going to do it. And, you know, 10 more years, uh, they're going to say, well, we should have. Yeah. Could have, uh, but you didn't. Exactly. we so, will have another ecological disaster on your, you know, in the makings. Yeah. And they're still hemming and hawing, depending when you read the article. Well, we're not 100% sure. No, nothing's 100% sure, you know.
1: Well, you're pretty but, sure if you pick up the fish out of that spot, I mean, are they thinking somebody drove up and planted it?
0: Well, and then it's like, well, the ones they found would sort of get by their electric fences and their temperature thing, and their, they, they've got several processes they use, but... These fish were found past that, so it's like okay. I, I keep hearing you ain't nothing going to happen, and then who they're going to blame? Well, oh, it's on the march again. That's what's interesting.
1: Yeah, It's it's I, I've I've thought that they they went past the point of no return on that about four years ago. So we'll 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 keep an eye on that and relay the unfortunate news.
0: Yeah. Well, what is the last uh, invasive species species is uh is a very small snail that's already here now in Lake Michigan and in a lot of the rivers. And it was found, again, by accident. Somebody was looking at the snails and said, well, what is this small thing? Picked you know, it up, and it's like a noose. And I, I'm i trying to remember, this one came from Australia.
1: Oh, well, wow.
0: Yeah. It, it's really weird. And uh, so add another one to see, about, uh, about 260 now invasive and, species.
1: Oh. And these invasive species, especially the small ones, they tend to have a bigger impact, I think, than some of the larger ones. Well,
0: they're saying they're they're eating the, the itty bitty stuff that the medium size or the little ones need. So they're they're sort of screwing up your food chain way at the bottom. Yes. And if the little fish don't get it, you ain't gonna have any big ones. Yeah. That's that's so it, it is interesting. And of course they're blaming the fishermen because they don't clean out their bait boxes and they don't Wash out their bilges, and they don't. It's interesting.
1: Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a little facetious here, but so they're saying that some fisherman went to Australia, and didn't, <laughs> and didn't wash his his box out when he came when he came to Michigan. I, I'm not buying that, but I get that there's probably other known areas in the United States that have that invasive species. They're yes. saying that's how it gets transferred, right?
0: Uh, it, it, if, if, if they put their Foot down on dumping your ballast when you got into the Great Lakes, any of them, or the Saint Lawrence. Yes, it wouldn't. We would have minimized a lot of what we have now.
1: Yeah, to pick on the commercial shipping, I'm I'm going to blame this almost entirely on them because it's the ballast water. I don't. Well, that's f- been
0: yeah. where the quaggas and the and the zebra yeah. came from. Because
1: when you start getting the point where you're blaming the the little guy in a 14 foot boat, you're just as likely to get that to move by uh, aquatic fowl.
0: You're right. It, so, was on the, it was on the duck's foot and he went from one pond to the next. Yeah.
1: So, but if you are a fisherman and you've got a boat, you know, clean, clean the seaweed off, you know, wash it down, uh, do what you can. But uh, you're just slowing it down. You're not going to prevent it when it gets to that point where it's moving between the inland lakes, which are really, in Michigan, very connected. Well, fact, that, that, that new
0: snail can live a week out of the water.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: So to me, that I, I'm assuming that means a damp area. But out of the water.
1: Well, and, that, and that's a week out of the water in a damp area. But there, we we know there are spots in, in boats, and even in small boats that it could be it can be wet all summer. Yeah. I mean, if I if I you know, as somebody who's had freshwater aquariums, it doesn't it doesn't take much to snails can can really take over. They're they're a survivor.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So let's see. Here if we got anything else that we want to cover. Uh, Some of the articles that we we were talking about. uh, Oh, here's one that might be interesting. We have artificial reef balls that are containing ashes of people. This one comes out of Australia. They said the first artificial reef balls that incorporate cremated remains have been dropped in the ocean off the Midwest town in Western Australia. The idea uh, began with uh, Julian Bay Men's Shed which is looking to expand an artificial reef consisting of concrete balls. Uh, and this was; uh, These balls have been laid at a local marina three years ago. Over that time, the reef had attracted 50 species of fish and other marine life, creating a beautiful snorkeling trail for local visitors. Organizers of the project and the Men's Shed members said a widow of a past member, Ron Sutherland, who had died two years ago, requested his ashes somehow be incorporated in one of the concrete balls. After 18 months, Mr. Stiles was able to get the rest in reef project approved by state government and the local council. It's been a large, hard, long, hard struggle to get this far, fighting bureaucrats and whatever, but we've been able to get a lot of help from the local bureaucrats. process involves pouring ashes into a concrete mixture before setting the molds for two weeks and dropping the ball from the boat into the ocean to be part of the dive trail. Actually, I like this idea. Well,
0: they, they've been doing that in Florida. There's monuments underwater you can have your ashes put in I'm not sure what the big issue is because you dump your freaking ashes in the ocean anyway if you want to well
1: so I had,
0: that so what's the difference between doing that and putting it in concrete
1: well I, I have see, an issue I had found out that that spreading ashes is actually illegal where everywhere supposedly you're, you're not supposed to be spreading human remains
0: actually I can do that offshore in Lake Michigan. Per the
1: law. Oh, can you? Yes. Yeah, because this was my uh, my grandfather. He he uh, was a pilot, and he wanted to be cremated and spread all over the mountain. And this is this is up in Maine. And uh, you know they they went and got started to do it, and it was like, no, you, you you can't do that. So who stopped
0: him? You know, if you go do it, and there's four or five of the family members going up there and put it on the mountain, who the hell's are gonna know?
1: Well, uh, it happened anyway. And I don't, I yeah, you know, on an official recorded program, I'm not going to tell you how and who. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he 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 got his last wish. But it just seems silly. I don't. What what's the purpose of the law?
0: Well, part of it was my understanding because you can also don't have to be cremated and you can dispose of the body in the lake. It, uh, it's an item of it can't be uh, so. It, there's a distance from land. Mm-hmm. and a distance from any place where potable water might be or people might be swimming and bump into something.
1: Now, you said you don't have to be cremated. So if, if you know, if I
0: wrap you in a big sheet, put you <coughs> on that little board, anchors away, pff, yeah.
1: Boy, can you imagine all the local jurisdictions when your head comes rolling in on the shore in a year and a half?
0: Well, you know, you do it smart and you do it deep. Yeah. It ain't going to happen.
1: Wow. I guess. Works for me.
0: but again don't ask don't tell and nobody's gonna stop you yeah sounds like a
1: plot for like an ncis or something yeah but i like this idea of the the reef balls for one thing is it's another way of of funding it because that's that's one of the challenges is you know it takes concrete it takes boats it takes people to get all these things together so if, if you can have uh you know people use this as a almost like a fundraiser for the reef they have uh, received approval for 100 more rest and reef balls to extend the, free, the reef over the next three years. And I'm, I'm not sure if the, the challenge was because of the c- remains or that they have to, as they expand a reef, get approval for that expansion. But I, I like that program. And then you sent me, or not me specifically, I'll say it was me, but uh, you, you posted on the Mud Club Facebook page an article and it is quite a long one. Uh, it is outsideonline.com. And the name of the article is Raising the Dead. And it is an excellent article. And it was written by Tim Zimmerman. And it's, it's been out for a while, yeah. uh, August 1st, 2005. But I had not read it. And it, go, it talks about, what's that uh, cave or that uh, Bushman's Hole? Which is a remote sinkhole in northern Cape province of South Africa is the third deepest freshwater cave known to man. So there are these tech divers and they are diving over five hundred feet deep.
0: How about eight hundred and fifty six?
1: Yeah well, there's not a lot who have been doing that that full depth.
0: especially this alive now
1: <laughs> that that's alive, true. You know, kind of a spoiler. So if you don't want to know know what the end is, stop it now. Go read the article, then come back and listen to us. But uh, there were these two guys, and they're both uh, gung ho tech divers. One was open circuit diver, the other was a rebreather diver, and he was actually proving that you could use rebreathers to this depth. So at the time he was doing these deep dives, nobody was diving other than uh, military was doing really deep rebreather dives like this. And he had over 850 feet deep on the rebreather.
0: Yeah, Nemo Gomes claimed the record back in 1996. He had bottomed with an open circuit gear at 927 feet.
1: Yeah. How many did you, you, and I'm going to make you jump around
0: here, but did you see how many liters of air? 50, well, on the open circuit, it would have taken like 54,000. Uh-huh. the rebreather was seventy six hundred.
1: Yes, just amazing. Because you, when you're talking about helium or something like that, that you could have, it wouldn't take too many dives to pay for a rebreather. Uh, when you're doing those types of depths, and even with a rebreather, they got some ridiculous deco times.
0: Well, you figure in this one article, the average one, when it went according to plan, was after his very very short deep dive, he had eight hours and forty minutes of deco. On the dive that we're talking about, when the guy finally did come up, the second guy who did live, yes, uh, his deco was 12 hours and 30 minutes. And then he went into he a chamber. Up, and he wound up in the chamber on and off for, I think it was a solid week. And then he had a couple of extras tossed in there for the next three weeks. Yeah. And it took him a full year to regain his sensibilities.
1: Yeah. So they were doing, him and his dive buddy were doing these very deep dives. And a lot of times people were just touching the bottom to say they hit bottom. And they had done scans. They had put uh, uh, sonar down there as they were going and had, had, had mapped the size of this cave. But everybody who had gone to the bottom pretty much touched down and came up. So he decided he was going to snap a line off the bottom and take a minute or two and do a sweep. And years before, there had been a diver. Uh, it was a young man who was a tech diver, and he was doing a dive down to 200 feet and as he was coming up with the rest of the crew they looked around they're like wait where is so and so and they could just see the light going below him deeper and deeper and somebody started to head for him and realize that you know if they had followed him they would die too so there was a missing diver in the in the cave well now that he's he's on the bottom of this line and he's tied off he just out of luck headed to the side of the, the cavern, directly to where the body was, and so there was this this young man, tech diver, in gear, and he was actually in fairly good condition all altogether. He hadn't he hadn't been uh, skeletonized. There was some parts that you could see. Uh, so he went up, and being a tech diver, and you know he had he contacted the family, and they were relieved that he had found him. Uh, and he just, he, at that point in time, he had instantly decided that he wanted to go and, and recover it. So they went and put together a plan. And as they said in the article, they were 99% sure there was nothing that would go wrong considering the experience and the planning that they did. Uh, but, uh, as, as you can guess by our tone is it didn't turn out too well.
0: Uh, the, the analysis was excellent. Uh, yes. One of the items the guy had on him was a camera that did function. So mm-hmm. when they did finally recover him, and that was more by accident than by design, yes. they figured they'd lost two divers on it. The guy that uh, we talked about who came up had 12 dollars hour deco plus another week of treatment. Uh, they initially thought he had passed until he came up. Bottom line is, when the gentleman who went down to recover the body, they had planned that in details, and it's like you dived your plan. Well... When he got down there, it was like he had had five or six martinis. But he was so focused on doing the job they planned, when it started going bad, he didn't realize it. Yeah. Because it, he, as soon as it was not to the plan, he should have backed off.
1: Yeah, because part of his plan was he was expecting uh, – because when he first found the body, he tried to move it and it was stuck in the mud. So he was convinced that he was, the, the body was fairly heavily weighted and then embedded in mud. So that would have to be part – of the recovery uh so they had made this silk bag and as part of the recovery he was going to put the body into the bag and he started moving the body and the body instantly floated and that kind of took him off his uh
0: concentration well if they had practiced with an inert on the bottom putting it in the in the the silk shroud Mm -hmm. when it was floating the whole ball game changed it was not easy to put it in the, the key item there is when you're listening to the to the video, and his breathing pattern, you knew immediately when he started having problems, yeah, and it wasn't going to be good. And it's interesting listening to the the dialogue as not a rebreather, you know, when the guy starts huffing and puffing, you gotta back off.
1: Yeah, but the the thing it, is, he was he he had that tunnel vision. He was focused on the task and. Just the, uh, the, the one of the other parts of the things they thought that uh, in the analysis was that he didn't do enough acclimatation dives. He hadn't, uh, you know, he had done one the day before down to what was it 400 feet? Yeah. But, you know, when you, in any of us who have done deeper dives, you get that, that narking effect. And yeah. even on Trimex, especially at these depths, you're going to get that. So his was equivalent of eight drinks. So if you haven't gone and conditioned yourself to that, and worked through it, especially with task loading. You know, following a line down, you know, turning around, coming back up is a little less task loading than going down and recovering a body. Uh, And it was something that he, frankly, didn't have a lot of experience doing. Uh, So, unfortunately, he ended up uh, losing his life. Uh, And then at the end, as they – the next day when they were recovering – the next day – was it the next day or week – they had a couple divers who had to stay to recover the gear because you had a, you know, all these stage bottles and support team that they had together. And when they pulled the line, he had clipped off the line when he went down, and that brought him and the, the other diver they were trying to cover up so they were able to get both the bodies back.
0: Uh, the part I also thought was interesting is they tried to replicate his breathing pattern on the surface, okay, without trimix. They just wanted to do the breathing pattern using regular gas, and he followed the same breathing pattern as the gentleman did on the bottom. and he himself went into uh, CO2 basically CO2 blackout just by following on the surface the same breathing pattern the guy did at depth, which that that's quite phenomenal there. That's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, that was. I've,
0: the article's great.
1: It is good. It's worth reading. It's a long one. And it's something that, that should it's – it's a learning experience. It's It just reinforces you know dive the way you know how to dive. If you're going to add a task, you, you probably need to learn how to add those tasks at different things just because you always go to whatever depth uh, and you do something somewhat complicated. Uh, and, and, and I think if he – at the beginning when when that body started moving and he realized it was a different condition – he should have called it right then and come up.
0: Yeah, and, and everybody listening to the audio, uh, the tape breathing, said the same thing. Back out, back, and they're physically talking to him. Yeah, listening yeah. to the tape because they know what's going down.
1: Yeah, and, but and, and, the,
0: uh, the other item you got to remember: these guys are extreme, extreme divers. Yes. Yeah, and, and you look at who's alive, who does that extreme items. uh that's how you learn, and usually at the expense of somebody's life. Yeah. As a side note, uh, that new, the new, uh, movie coming out, Point Break. Yes. You've heard about that one. hmm. Some of the extreme items they have done in that are, sh- are actual live. They're not, um, electronically made. hmm. Like what, there's gonna be a couple of them where they're jumping off doing the bat suits or the wingsuits. Oh, wow. Um, I, I looked at the guys who were doing it and, um, looking at how many jumps they made in, in a week period. Look at the number of people who do that extreme wing flying and see how long they've been doing it. And one, there's not that many who are that good, and there's fewer every year.
1: <laughs> because there's when you look at those videos, they are missing objects by feet, single-digit feet.
0: When I'm going down a mountain at 140 miles an hour and the grass under my feet are blowing because I'm that freaking close, there is absolutely no margin for error. You get a gust of wind in your toast.
1: Well, that's what I'm thinking, is that you've got gusts of winds. You have atmospheric changes. You have equipment that damages, you know, gets damaged or tweaked. Uh, heck, you have a dog running <laughs> down there and you run into it. I mean, could you imagine that, hitting some animal that uh, just happens to be there? It's uh, It's definitely extreme. I'm sure it's an adrenaline rush, but... You're on borrowed time on a lot of those. those well, yeah, activities. it's
0: extreme, so the, everybody's not going to go out there and do it, or can do it. No. But uh, I think you're going to enjoy some of the, the scenes I have up there, because they are freaking awesome. Uh, some of the guys from Skydive Chicago actually participated in that. And the opening show, I don't know if they had a premiere in Hollywood the other night, and some of the guys from um, Chicago actually participated in the jumping into the the area down on that main street in the mm-hmm. middle of the night in their in their wingsuits <laughs> lit up and everything it was, it was awesome. If you haven't seen the video of that, or if you're into that,
1: yeah, I, I haven't seen. I, I find that stuff fascinating. I've seen a few videos, but uh, it's definitely not something I want to aspire to myself.
0: Oh, the pucker factor on that's way beyond my my uh, anticipation of ever 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 doing.
1: Now, how do they do that? Does it, do they like ease into it? You know, I, I, I assume that they're very experienced divers. They've done stuff like this before, but how do you practice that? Do you, are you a hundred yards away one time? Then you go to 50 yards and you go to 10 yards.
0: One would think so. Uh, since I don't know what their protocol is, I know there's training you can get a lot of it is overseas where it's legal to do a lot of base jumping. Mm-hmm. And it's basically you'll need to learn to fly the wingsuit in the air before you start doing it off of mountains. You know? It's the peculiarities of how they operate, how do you pull, how do you don't get caught in your parachute or tangle it up. And then you start doing your base, your distance away from your opening. And then when you get that good, then you start trying to thread the needle and that's that's when it's really interesting video. Wow. Can't wait to see the movie though. Some of the surfing scenes. The biking scenes. It's gonna be an adrenaline rush from the get go. Now is there any scuba diving in there? I do not know. <laughs> I mean scuba diving's extreme. Well I know the last one that had diving in it or underwater was uh the Tom Cruise movie.
1: Oh, is it Mission that Impossible was, or
0: Yeah, we talked about that one too, where yeah. he trained for the the water episode.
1: Ah, yes. Yeah. And it was
0: kinda of surprising
1: he hadn't he hadn't done more of that.
0: He does a lot of that stuff. I mean, just, again, on the outside of the aircraft was not CG. That was him on the side of the freaking airplane. That That's really boggling my mind how the insurance people let him do that.
1: Maybe they didn't know. <laughs> or maybe he signed some sort of waiver. Maybe he had the money. Maybe they, because a lot of times what the insurance is, is it's not the insurance to pay him or his family if he dies. It's to finish the movie.
0: Yeah. It's hard yeah. to
1: finish the movie with their principal actor all, you know, splattered over the side of something. So yeah. uh, and then plus there's other projects that have been that have gotten funding and are in various states of production that will be a little unhappy if they, they can't get their actor who's yeah. the reason they funded the movie. Well, I think we are probably at that point where we can shut it down. Thank everybody. Hope that everybody has a nice holidays, Merry Christmas. Uh, as we head into this time of the season, we'll see you in the new year. If not sooner, watch your feeds. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, mudclub.scubaobsess.com for see what the muddies are doing and the treasures they're bringing up. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio, Reno Viola Outdoor Network for having us on the air you certainly want to listen to them if you're into the great outdoors, hunting, fishing, camping. A lot of podcasts they have live. I don't say I said live radio. Uh, they have uh, uh, it, it's live at some point, I guess. When you say when you record it, it's live, but uh, they're on the air and you can listen to these programs. They get repeated throughout the week. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug, back?
0: No, but if you're going to get out there, have some fun, and uh, we'll see you next year.
1: Yes. So should we do a quick joke? I think I've got I've got one, uh, kind of on the, kind of on the holiday spirit. Uh, Tommy and Billy were discussing their last turkey shoot. Tommy says emphatically, "I'm never going to take my wife Laura shooting with me ever again." Billy, that bad? A inquires Billy, smiling. Yeah, Laura did everything wrong, got nothing right. She chatted too much, constantly disturbed the undergrowth, loaded the wrong gauge in the shotgun, used the wrong luring whistles, and worst of all, she shot more turkeys than me. (laughs) Isn't that always the way?
0: It seems to be. A beginner's luck also. Yeah.
1: So on that note, go out there and get
0: wet. And stay safe.